Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. Today is a special bonus episode. We have Chelsea Arnold back. Hey it's guys. It's just me and her. And we're going to talk about The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer with a little extra context because since Christian hasn't seen the rest of the series, we didn't want to, you know, talk about potentially spoilerific things in front of him. And he also hasn't seen Fire Walk With Me, which this book definitely <laughs> relates to. But Chelsea has seen all of those. And we wanted to get together and talk about some stuff that might be spoilery. So if you haven't watched the rest of Twin Peaks or Fire Walk With Me, it's probably best if you, if I mean, if you don't want to be spoiled, then I would not listen to this one. Yeah. Skip this one. It's only a bonus track anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But you can come back to it after you've watched the whole thing. Exactly. It'll always be up for you. <laughs> so this is just a an informal conversation because I don't have a lot of preparation. But I wanted to start off by saying, okay, uh, Christian guessed the right answer. <laughs> I know. I know. I kind of feel like we ruined it somehow. I don't know how, know. but maybe we did just talking about her parents or I don't know. I think maybe like talking about Ben Horn and not, you know, being elusive enough about him <laughs> or, you know, maybe like we were too like, well, you know, it's not Ben. Be, it's not Leo. <laughs> it's not Bobby. You know, So who's left? But really, I don't feel like at this point in the series that even that Leland's even really a huge suspect, you know? Like, even to the audience. Well, I think I saw a poll. Yeah, but I think I saw a poll once around this time at the end of the first season. And Leland being the killer was like 4% or something. Like, 50% thought it was Leo. And then it just got smaller and smaller at that point. So, yeah. and then, like, he's, like, second to last as, a, as even a guess. I think it's because nobody wants to believe that. You know, you don't want to believe that it's the father. Right. So I think that might have been why. Also, he just comes across as fairly harmless, except for the whole killing shock thing. Well, and he also looks like he has spiraled into madness because of his daughter's death. I mean, yeah. he's he's cray cray for sure. But like, it seems like it's because she died, not necessarily because he had anything to do with it. Exactly. I mean, I, I was wondering if the book itself... You know, it doesn't really, I don't think, I couldn't tell from reading it. Like, if I had read it back in the day, I would never have known who the killer was. No. But it does, I mean, Laura does question, like, why her parents don't know what's happening to her. And I guess from this perspective of 2020, where there's a lot more stories where it is apparent, you know. I mean, I would say the majority of people probably are abused by their parents. Or someone they know, for sure. Maybe I can't say that. I don't really know the actual statistic, but I do know that like murder statistics, you're more likely to be killed by someone you know. So, Right. And you're probably more likely to be sexually assaulted by someone you know, especially repeatedly. Yeah. But, you know, when you take out that part of it, what we're starting with in the show is that there's a serial killer because we know that someone else has been killed with the same MO and that doesn't feel like a familial killing, you know? Exactly. 
And Teresa <laughs> wasn't from Twin Peaks. So like the association with the people in the town are like, n- there is no association. Uh, obviously, yeah. they find one over time. But, you know, when you first hear about it, she's not I mean, she's from the area, but she's not from the town. And there's they suspect right. it, obviously with this young girl f- from high school who got killed that she probably was killed by someone who knew her and therefore like I don't know how could you put the two and two together it's just well I mean besides the like fingernail well right (laughs) except for they had to call in the best of the best (laughs) with the FBI the blue rose task force (laughs) exactly yeah I was actually I was talking to John Bernardi who's been a guest before yes and he was he I guess wasn't sure if Teresa Banks had been mentioned in the diary and she is not, and I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, maybe I thought about it while I was reading, but you know, you get so stuck sucked into Laura's story that you kind of forget everyone else. Right. And you know, that moment in fire walk with me when she's with Ronette Pulowski, that happens when she's alive, probably like what, almost a year before she dies and she doesn't write about it in her diary. Mm, no, but that is the time period, I believe, where she's just really coked up and hanging out with Jacques and Leo and Ronette all the time. It just seems like weird to me because we know how she got involved with Leo and we know how she got involved with One Eye Jax. But like, how did she, when she was working for One Eye Jax, yeah, she was getting paid for sex, but it was in the environment of One Eye Jax. Like, did they hire out girls? You know, like Teresa or Ronette and Laura, they were all supposed to have like a like a three way or whatever. I think maybe once you start, well, maybe Teresa knew them from One Eye Jacks because it seemed like she was just calling in some peop- some girls she knew. But I don't know. I I guess maybe once you start kind of down that path, you're like, well, now you know the people, <laughs> yeah, who can hook you up with other kinds of gigs, but. Gigs. I don't know if you call it a gig. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably an inappropriate word. Got a sex um, gig at three, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I was gonna. I don't know if we talked about it much in the episodes, but one thing I was really struck by reading the diary was how close Laura and Ronette were, and. I don't think that that is explored in the show at all. Ronette is barely a character in the show. Agreed. I mean, I guess more so in Firewalk with me, but still not that much. It's really kind of crazy because Twin Peaks so focuses on Donna. But like by the time Laura was, what, 14, she was already like, I'm kind of over Donna. And she was hanging out (laughs) with Ronette all the time. For everything. Ronette was the only one who looked out for her, it seemed like. <laughs> I mean, those two did all of their things together. They did the the perfume counter. They did orgies in the woods. They did one-eyed jacks. They did it all. And I wonder about Ronette's home life. Because we do see her parents in the show. And they're very upset over their daughter in the hospital. But yeah. Don't they work they for the sawmill? They must not have been great parents. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if we think of what happened with Laura and what her parents were really like, and I don't know. I feel like Ronette must have had some really dark stuff in her background to have gotten into this whole thing. Yeah. And, I mean, 
I'm just making assumptions, but well, it would be interesting see. to see a Ronette story. <laughs> we know that her her dad works for the sawmill, right? They're probably yes. a poor family. Yeah, they. That's the impression I got from the show. It seems like, you know, if their daughter got this prestigious job at, at working for the perfume counter at Horn Department Store, and she was bringing in like a good amount of money, they didn't know where all the money was coming from because I'm sure half of it was coming from One Eye Jacks. But you know, I guess well, they it was thought all going straight out into um, drugs. So well, it wasn't like she <laughs> probably had it a lot hanging on her at all times. That's true. But you know, if if you think that your daughter's on the up and up being a perfume girl and you have all these codes as to why you need to be, you know, at work and they don't know that she's just going across the border and being a, um, high priced prostitute, uh, then (laughs) they have no idea. You know, I mean, Laura's mom, she was an innocent. It's not like she participated. She was being drugged the whole time. And she never once suspected there was anything wrong with her, ever. (laughs) Well, she did worry about her. And Laura knew that her mom was worrying about her. But she didn't ever write anything about... I mean, she did write a couple of times. They had, like, a long conversation that was really nice. But she never wrote, like, my mom is nagging me. Or, you know, her mom seemed to be, like well, okay, you know, you're changing and I understand that you need your space kind of a mom. I mean, she was a good mom in that respect, but I'll tell you what, if I even thought for a second my daughter was sneaking out of the house to go do orgies in the woods, I'd be sitting out (laughs) out outside her bedroom window with like a shotgun. Where do you think you're going, young lady? Oh, I do not think so. Back inside with you. Well, I actually, in that book that I've been referencing a lot, Laura Speaks... Um, women's or Laura's ghost women speak about Twin Peaks there is an interview with Grace Zabreski about Sarah and I don't I don't I don't I didn't write down any of the quotes or anything but I believe she she believes that Sarah was in some way culpable like like she had to have known and she just closed her eyes and maybe that's why in season three she's so dark you know exactly she's in such a dark place because well and I don't know how much consciously she knew what was going on or but like obviously after the fact she does a lot of blaming of herself of course I mean how could you not how could you there's got to be like a part of your mind that's like oh no that time that was a sign and this was a sign and I should have known and you know at that point what do you do I know. And she was, well, I mean, we know she's being drugged. We've, we see that in the show, you know, and, and they have that whole backstory with the whole moth frog thing, but I don't know if that's like more symbolic or, you know, cause that's really not even specifically said in the show. It's said in the final dossier book that that little girl was Sarah, but I don't think that like Sarah has this deep, dark evil inside her and she was just like well I'm gonna let this evil happen I think it was like more like the the guilt of having this she obviously could have been a vessel because at the end isn't it the end of I want to say the end of the second season where she talks to Major Briggs and she's got that crazy voice and she gives him like that warning right am I am I losing my mind it's been a while since I've seen it so I'm not 
immediately recalling what you're talking about, but I, it sounds pretty right. <laughs> I know there's a part where Sarah is like talking to Major Briggs and she says something. Well, I don't know. There's just, I mean, this, I feel like reading The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer gives you a lot more like to think about motivation wise because it's pretty easy in Twin Peaks to focus more on like the mystery and what are these metaphysical things, which I think in a way is good because the series, it's hard to engage with like these really, really dark topics. So if you kind of give it this like mystery veneer or like these metaphysical forces you're dealing with, then it's easier for people to get on board and feel like they're a part of it because once you start dealing with all these really dark like abuse and all this stuff then I mean I know personally if I'm you know given a choice between two things to watch if something seems dark and heavy like that I'm not gonna choose it most of the times because you know I don't really feel like I need that in my life normally (laughs) I've got enough (laughs) Like, I don't know. It's just, it is like triggering in a way because, you know, it brings up all your own stuff. So definitely. Anyway, I don't know if that was a point I was making, but But, oh, I did want to say as far as Sarah's concerned, you know, yes, he was, or Leland was, uh, you know, abusing his daughter, but he's also a serial killer. And you do hear about when you're reading about serial killers like their wives and families they're really good at putting you know compartmentalizing and put like sociopathic putting on a show making their family believe that there's nothing wrong and Uh, a lot of times they have no idea and it really is disturbing to them later on to find out you know how could I not have seen this and maybe you can see it after the fact but you know no, I, I, I completely <laughs> agree. I listen to a lot of true crime. And what always amazes me is that these people who do all of these serial killings have wives and the wives don't get killed. Like, how how is it that you're going to go around and be like, oh, well, I'm going to kill all these sex workers because of whatever reason. But then you also are married and and you don't have that same kind of feeling towards this other woman. Like, I just don't understand serial killers, I guess. <laughs> well... <laughs> I think they're notoriously hard to understand, but um, <laughs> I I do think that like I feel like their wives and families are usually more of a like a cover, you know, right for what's under so, the surface. But a lot of times there are obvious signs within, you know, like they're just withholding or whatever. But there, you know, there's some that are like totally n- family men. Usually, all the neighbors are like, "We had no idea." But anyway, I I think that fundamentally you and I do not believe the same thing when it comes to Leland. I think don't you more believe like Bob is a manifestation of his darker personality and I think that Bob is like a physical manifestation of evil that goes into him and takes him over at a young age. Mm. Like he can't he can't even control it. Like it's not an act that he's being nice to his family because Bob's never around when he's around his family. He's only around when he's trying to hurt Laura and he closes off that part of Leland's mind. So he never really knows that it's happening. See, 
I can, I can, I, I don't feel like I have a specific belief one way or another of like, this is definitely it. But I think once I saw Firewalk with me and realized, you know, really the actual darkness beyond the like darkness in the woods, I feel like the actual, what really was happening was, you know, darker than a Bob creation. And I'll tell you the one part where he's driving next to, where he's driving with Laura and the one-armed man comes up with the ring and he just freaks out and starts screaming. And that's what makes me think like he, it's more like Bob is his, you know, other personality, like when he's in this, you know, mood or feeling, or when he has these impulses, he lets Bob come out. I don't feel like Bob is necessarily in control because when he's trying to take over Laura or whatever, he doesn't have control over her. And I don't know if it's like a matter of you have let them in long enough that they get more control over you, but I don't know. I feel like it works as both like a, on both sides of the coin yes I see that yeah but then when you're talking about that scene where the where Mike comes up and is screaming at them with the with the the ring on his finger it's almost like Mike can see Bob no matter where he is whether he's in Leland or just like in an owl or wherever he always can see Bob and so he confronted Bob and Leland was like what the hell is going on why are you yelling at me? And then I think for a split second, even part of like his memory went back to that time as a child when he had Bob like tormenting him. And that's like, he just became overwhelmed with all of these feelings that he didn't even understand. But then when he snaps back out of it, he turns to Laura and he's like, are you okay? Did anybody hurt you? And she's terrified because she doesn't understand the difference. He certainly doesn't understand the difference. I guess I I actually enjoy engaging from the like metaphysical realm into Twin Peaks. I think it's much more enjoyable to talk about it, like in terms of Bob and Judy and who's taking over who. But I don't want to like dismiss the actual real life evil that's going on. And so I don't know. I feel like it works on both levels, but it's easier to engage with from like a metaphysical level and from a psychological level, I feel like that's kind of like what the deep down problems are. So I don't know. I do think Twin Peaks is a unique place. Like all this horrible stuff can go on anywhere, but it's not necessarily connecting to greater forces or maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I in a way know. you could take this story and from anybody, you know, a similar story from any person, any walk of life, any country, But in this version of it, we're like peeling away that top layer and we're seeing kind of like inside out version where you're like seeing the different personalities that belong in each person and how they interact with the person. And it's 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 almost like the evil part of them is a separate entity that can be removed from the person in, in themselves. But just in this veil that we have lifted in Twin Peaks that we're seeing through. Yeah, I think where I guess probably where my problem lies and where probably a lot of people's problem lies is like 
at what point do you take away your culpability? Like, even if you are possessed by the spirit of evil, you still make the choices of what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I don't want to, and, but you know, like that last scene in Twin Peaks where Leland is dying and he's been caught and it's very touching. You know, you do feel bad for Leland. Yeah. And I do feel like he's, he was probably, I mean, he implies that he was, abused as a child as well yes so it's like a endless cycle of um abuse it's a, it's a learned behavior but then you get mr c in the third season and he, that doesn't come from some deep cooper abuse you know exactly. that comes from straight bob. from bob from his evil and, but it's almost like cooper must have in some way invited that I think you know well I think he invited it in when he chose to to take Annie's place in the Black Lodge but that is a True. whole nother story <laughs> but um I know that, season three has so much to talk about because like I know <laughs> yeah go ahead sorry the <laughs> last scene in Fire Walk with me where they're in the Black Lodge or they're in the waiting room and Leland's body kind of floats to the ground and then floats back up to the sky and then Bob is separate from him and then Bob takes the Garmin Bosia out of Leland and throws it on the ground takes all the pain and sorrow like he's trying to remove any any of the thoughts that he had while because he kind of went in and out when he was killing Laura he realized it was him he realized it was Bob they were going back and forth it was all happening at the same time but then mm -hmm. we know in the series he wakes up and it's like he has no memory of it at all because I think at that point Bob takes all of the guilt all of the pain all of the sadness that Leland would have associated with killing his own daughter and removes it from him and takes it away so he can't he doesn't even remember that it's happened and I and if there's nothing else, just look at Leland floating in the air. He's just a shell that Bob is using. And it yeah. seems like nothing more than that. But my biggest thing is that when Leland was a child and Bob would torment him the same way that he torments Laura, I mean, it might he might have even been in another person who was doing all this abuse to him. And eventually Leland accepted him to come in and be a part of his soul and that is the difference between him and Laura as Laura refuses she might have him in her head she might manifest him in her thoughts but she has never once allowed him to be a part of her soul and that's all he wants he wants to be able to taste through her mouth he wants to be in her he wants to be her he wants to have complete control over everything that she does and to be the Leland of Laura you know yeah, and, and that does imply that Leland has not as much control. Exactly. But I don't know. I, I don't like to believe that if you are an 8, 17, or however she, old she is, 18 years old, if you're an 18-year-old girl and you, like, give in, I don't want to be killed, I will accept Bob into my heart, that she still has zero control. You well, know, obviously, Leland, Leland had some control. control. <laughs> he still was able to live his life, get married, have a child, you know? Yeah. 
Okay, well, moving on to Leland a little bit. I mean, not that we haven't been talking about him, but just I did think about when we were reading this book and it gave me some new perspectives on just Leland, not as the murderer, but just his normal life because there's so much talk of him and his lawyering and working with Ben Horn. And it really did make me think a lot about what kind of a lawyer Leland is. Because yeah, shady, series, shady. He seems so bumbling, but he's clearly like a cutthroat, shady lawyer because Benjamin Horn is never up to anything good. And Leland is obviously his number one guy. <laughs> but is he his number one guy? Because the second Leland starts to lose his mind, he's like, oh, get this fucking crazy guy away from us. He's going to ruin everything. (laughs) I mean, that's true. But Leland is falling apart at that point and he knows all the secrets. So (laughs) I feel like if if you had a crazy person who knew all your secrets, you'd be like, let's I'm just going to take you in. We're going to take care of you. We're going to put you in the best psychiatric psychiatric facility. We might even murder you because loose lips, (laughs) you know. Well, I'm sure they would have if Leland had been able to, you know, get away with everything and still was you know falling apart (laughs) yeah i have no doubt in ben hiring someone to kill someone because i'm pretty sure in the series he's is he not responsible for people's deaths oh yeah he's the one that hired um norma's husband to kill no no it wasn't him (laughs) no but didn't he hire leo to kill Catherine? Uh uh-huh or just well at least to set them no i think he did he really want to kill Well, he Kat? definitely wanted to set the mill on fire. I don't know if that constitutes killing anyone. Well, he was de- <laughs> he definitely had her tied up inside. Or no, that was Shelly. Yeah, that Burn was Shelly. Burn the mill so... down and kill Shelly. Well, he didn't want her, him to kill Shelly. That was Leo's idea. Oh, Leo. <laughs> speaking of Leo. <laughs> yes, speaking of Leo. Well, before we speak about Leo, can we talk about Bobby real quick? Because... There's one, okay, in Firewalk With Me, we see Bobby kill someone. And we know Laura says Bobby killed a guy. Actually, the beginning of Twin Peaks, I think Donna or somebody said, or maybe James was like, Laura said Bobby killed somebody. Well, now we know Bobby's killed two people. At least that we know of. As far as I know, nobody ever caught him. He became a police officer. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, good for Bobby for getting his life together but i still feel like i mean only a white boy can kill two people and get away with it i don't know (laughs) and it was a police officer he killed like did anybody come looking for this guy even if he was a shady police officer he was still like a member of society that people would notice was missing yeah i mean i guess the drug dealer in the back of the truck that was not a police officer. Nope. Nobody's <laughs> going to report that. No, no. Th- that one's going to go unnoticed, probably. Especially when there's already like a total shootout happening. How there was no retaliation from this gang. They obviously thought that these three were the ones that stole the coke. Then they know that one of them, one of their members was killed by one of them. How was there no retaliation? They never once came to be like, no, we're, we're the the south side of Twin Peaks and we're not going to let this fly. <laughs> we're low down. Um, well, I'm guessing because it ended in a huge shootout, which they were all shooting at each other, that probably at the end they were like, well, there's a lot of dead people here. Let's just, you know, scratch up our losses. And, and nobody even heard, <laughs> like, nobody reported to the police, you know, there is a couple of guys driving a million miles per hour down our street and there's gunshots going off. You might want to investigate this. 
Well, I mean, the town had already turned off power to the entire low town, so I don't <laughs> think anyone cared. Oh, well. <laughs> and that make, that does make me think a little bit about, I mean, that's like the most political, one of the most political parts of Twin Peaks, besides maybe like, who's going to own the land of Ghostwood Estates? But like, that's that little insight as like, well, you know, you know, like, poor sections of town, even, you know, today, like I know I was just reading an article about Jacksonville and in the north side we have like two grocery stores where in the south side we have about 50,000 million types of grocery stores to choose from. And, you know, it just shows like how towns treat the poorer sections of town. <laughs> and it's yeah. just like this really interesting little nugget, right? Nestled into this Laura Palmer book that I'm sure she doesn't really do a lot of deep thinking on that. Well, maybe she does because she's, you know, always trying to be good, but <laughs> she's got a lot of other stuff on her mind. So but. I wonder if she goes to Lowtown to deliver her meals. I don't know. I mean, I would guess there's probably poor old people in Lowtown. Oh, I, I'm sure. <sighs> okay well let's see is there oh well, we were we talking talk about, about but we were talking about bobby and let's all just remember that bobby was actually a decent human being and it makes me it just makes me sad when you i was thinking about the first scene where donna is sitting there and the girl runs across the courtyard screaming and she looks at laura's seat and she automatically knows that it's laura and yeah, you guys hadn't been like super close in a long time, but can you imagine someone who used to be your best friend and you just automatically know that they're that that's it, they're dead. Yeah. You know it. And James Bob, knew too. And James knew too. I feel bad for James because he is so underrepresented in this book. Like, <laughs> who? What? I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah. But Bobby, Bobby and her were like, you know, they actually had a legit real relationship and I'm not talking high school like they went through some major yeah. stuff together and you would think he would just I, I mean I remember seeing his face when they first tell him and he is devastated he doesn't believe it but he's like there's no way no not yeah. Laura yeah but then he was like oh but well in I a guess way, it could he kind of gets over it so quickly it makes me feel like well I guess he probably knew it was coming too I mean, he had already started to distance himself from her because yeah, he well, knew he was never going to have a real relationship with her. But he still loved her enough to keep providing her with drugs. And, right. <laughs> you know. She had totally pushed him away at that point. So. Oh, for sure. I mean, she was probably out there being like, you should get together with Shelly. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, they're the perfect little pair because Leo and Laura were way more suited for each other in the darkness and they each had their light counterpart that ended up being oh, for better. sure. <laughs> One little thing about Shelley is that I have heard several variations of her backstory as to because they don't really explain it in the show. And they don't specifically say how old she is in the book, but it does kind of imply that she's older than the rest of them. But I always assumed she was the same age and dropped out of high school at like 15 or something right. to marry Leo. I think there are some backstories that say that that is the case, but there are some that say she's older. So I don't know if that's really that important, but I always thought of her as being the same age as the rest of the kids. Well, I always thought of Maddie being the same age. That's true. Me too. <laughs> so... 
<laughs> and then we've got and Leo, who I always assumed was like super older than everybody else, but he's probably like only four years older than everybody else. Yeah. And, you know, it's crazy because he's not a good guy, but I don't know why I feel like I have a soft spot in my heart for Jacques. <laughs> oh, Jacques. I definitely Maybe have a, a fire walk with me. <laughs> it's definitely a softer spot for Jacques than I do for Leo because Jacques's the one that noticed she was uncomfortable and wanting to be untied. And Leo was like, whatever. And at the end of yeah. fire walk with me, when he just leaves their asses there and she's like, please untie me. And he's like, shut up. And he just leaves. Yeah. And- Leo only in this book, does he come across with any sort of sympatheticness? <laughs> Almost, you know, maybe maybe at the end of season two when he's like trying to save Shelly despite his coma or whatever, you know, <laughs> that is somewhat sympathetic. But in this book is the only time I've ever been like, yeah, I have sympathy for Leo. And I don't know. <laughs> he comes across as so much more dastardly. <laughs> no, I mean, in this book, oh, he in comes this across book. as, yeah, way less dastardly. Like he just seems almost compassionate in some way. Although she does go out of her way to say, you know, like there's like an agreement if he hits me as part of the agreement and he's not nice per se, but he doesn't like, Laura's never like, he's such a jerk or he raised his voice or, you know, it's like. Well, he did bring her home that one time when she almost was killed by the truckers and he, oh, yeah. <laughs> he left her weed one or Coke in her bra once which was super nice yeah I'm not saying he's a good guy but I just am surprised by how much more sympathetic I feel towards him after reading this book than I ever have before I probably felt the most sympathy for him when he was in a coma for most of season two (laughs) (laughs) yeah but he definitely gets what's coming to him but I don't feel necessarily sympathy for him as just like Oh, that sucks. But you kind of deserve it because you are such a jerk. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, he totally gets what's coming to him. Yeah. I guess I probably at the time maybe thought it was Leo. You know, I'm never a huge speculator. (laughs) I'm more of a like, listen to other people's speculation and be like, ooh, that sounds like a good one. But then change my mind five seconds later when I hear somebody else's speculation. So (laughs) (laughs) I dealt at... 12 or 13 when I was watching this the original time that I had a clear idea of who could possibly be the killer. I Um, certainly didn't because I I would only watch it if people were not being scary and weird. (laughs) So (laughs) It's too bad that there's nothing and maybe it's in the pages that were torn out of the diary but like too bad there's no mention of Cooper at all like here's a strange man in my dreams. Or Teresa Banks or not Teresa um, what's her face? Um, Annie, Annie being the one that's like, oh yeah, don't take the ring, Laura. But you know, that would have been at the end of the diary where the pages would have been torn out. I wonder if, I know we see some of the pages that are torn out later on, like we find them, but it would be interesting to see a restored diary with like the pages that were torn out, put back in, or maybe just like a release of the pages. I think that would be an interesting so we don't know what's on those page, those pages that... I think we do know some of it, but I can't remember exactly what. Because I think they find them and they learn some stuff. I think even in season three, don't they find yeah. some pages stuck in the door? Yes. Very yeah. random. 
Yeah. Um, before we move away from Leo, I wanted to remember that in the diary, there's a scene where Laura is celebrating her birthday and she's talking about how dad even put on a party hat and played the kazoo. And as soon as I heard that, the only thing I could think of was when Leo's in the coma and they, Shelly and Bobby dress him up and put a party hat on him and put a kazoo in his mouth. Yeah. And that was the first time he ever made noise was with the kazoo. And they were like, oh, crap, he's not completely brain dead. <laughs> yeah, I did think about that. Are we to assume that the white horse that keeps being referenced in Twin Peaks is supposed to be like the ghost of Troy somehow? That is exactly what I was just thinking. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, okay, I can't recall. I believe the horse shows up in the first season, but I, I honestly can't remember. So I'm wondering if the horse was something that Jennifer Lynch took from the series and put into the book and be like, this is the explanation for the horse. Or if it was like the diary came out first and then they started putting the horse imagery into the show. Well, I know from Chet Desmond. I feel like Sarah is the only one who sees the horse. I feel like she definitely sees the horse when she's being drugged in fire walk with me. But I do not and could not tell you where the horse shows up in any of the other scenes from the series. I kind of wish at a certain point in the series we would have seen a picture of a young Laura or the horse or Laura and the horse and like Ben's office or something. Right. That would have been crazy. Because that's one thing from the book that I don't feel we get in the series is any real indication of Ben and Laura's relationship or how he felt about her. I mean, he does seem to like really be upset that she's dead, but I don't ever get that like... I've been obsessed with this girl for her whole childhood. And the weirdest thing is if he truly has always thought that Donna could be his daughter, why is it not Donna that he lavishes attention on? Why is it Laura? Laura doesn't have any relation to him whatsoever. I think it's just because she's a little cutie blonde. I really don't know. I mean, could be, could be. Maybe because she's the only girl he's not related to. (laughs) gross <laughs> well <laughs> and are we to assume that he had his way with laura at one eye jacks i don't think so oh at one eye jacks yes i'm pretty sure because laura does say something about that like i slept with my bosses and that would be him and his brother <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't think it's blackie she's talking about no, but she does say something like, "I, if if ever if somebody knew the secret about Ben Horn that I know, or something like that." Oh yeah, she says, "I'm gonna tell the world about Ben Horn." Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she never got to tell the world about any of the stuff she found out, though. I really wish that we had known like more of Josie's thoughts about Laura, because I mean, we knew that she taught her English, and she says that in the series, but their entire relationship is not explored at all or even mentioned or even thought about, but they had a full on like sexual relationship, maybe more than once. That was pretty late in the diary. So it must've been pretty close to her death. And she's like, I'll just sleep with anybody. (laughs) Josie and Harry were already dating at that point. 
so, but I don't ever hear, I don't think Harry is mentioned at all in the diary. No, I don't think so either. None of the police are. It's like the police don't exist in that town. Except for that she hangs out at the bookhouse. <laughs> yeah, but they never even talk about it as being a, a place where like, like <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you think Roadhouse. I think Roadhouse. Every single time they said Bookhouse, I thought Roadhouse. I never once yeah, thought of a separate place. Yeah. I think in this episode I said double R, but I meant Roadhouse because I get them all confused because they don't actually have their names on their buildings right the roadhouse doesn't say the roadhouse even the double r doesn't say the double r it just says rr <laughs> so right it can be a little confusing in my brain sometimes <laughs> but do you think that this book in any way fits in with season three I don't really think season three fits in with anything, but that's only because I've only <laughs> seen it once. And I need the only thing it fits in with is it's like a parallel universe that it takes characters from the same show that we know and love. And it's a whole <laughs> different show. <laughs> it's just completely different. Yeah, I feel like when season three comes, we'll have about a million of these kind of weird speculation episodes because there's so many, you know, unanswered questions about season three. Although there's a lot of people in the Twin Peaks community who have done a lot harder thinking on it than I have. I've just watched it a few times. And at this point, I'm kind of like, well, I'm just going to wait till we get to it for the podcast so that I can, (laughs) you know, experience it as fresh as possible. I need a good YouTube person who loves Twin Peaks to go through all of their theories just so I can like watch it. I know someone who is going to do that, I think, but Uh I will say no more. (laughs) exciting (laughs) well Keith said recently that he thinks it's time we should rewatch the return and if this person coincides with doing weekly things I'll watch it at the same time (laughs) to get some idea of whatever well I'll let you know because I'll let you know (laughs) I mean there is that like five hour Twin Peaks explained, but from I've never watched it. And from the people I've talked to about it, they're all like, I do not agree with this person. So don't waste your five hours. Whoa. So I have no idea. <laughs> hmm. I don't want to diminish that video, but I haven't seen it. So I have no idea. Um, I honestly, as long as you're not declaring my theory is the only one and it's definitely right, then I think all theories could be valid. <laughs> exactly. And since if you were to sit down and ask David Lynch, if this is what it was, he would be like, mm, yes, to everybody's or, suggestion. It's up to you. <laughs> He's never going to tell you you're right or wrong. He's never going to sit down and be like, okay, here's what it all means. <laughs> well, from my understanding of David Lynch is he does a lot of like free association and, you know, a lot of his ideas are more instinctual than like, you know, some sort of puzzle that he's putting together and so you if you're getting all of your inspiration from like your subconscious how can you really explain exactly what it is because your subconscious is not giving I mean it's not all about definitive answers I think and that's what I really love about him is it feels more like real art because it's like you know it's tapping on everyone else's subconscious and what does it bringing up in their subconscious 
Why can't I say the word conscience right? <laughs> you had trouble with that last time too. <laughs> I don't know. I write it down wrong every time and I can't say it properly. But I mean, I, I don't know. Do you understand what I'm trying to say there? I do. I, I It's like, a, I mean, he gives you the answers right at the beginning of Fire Walk With Me. We live inside a dream. Dreams oh, yeah. have no... When you are dreaming something, you totally get it. But when you try to tell somebody about this dream, you're like, okay, I'm not sure why we were coming out of a window and why it was like <laughs> the edge of a cliff. But somehow we got down and it turned into like a parachute. <laughs> yeah. But it totally made sense in your mind when it was happening. Yeah. It's like symbolic imagery that could also be literal. But, you know. Exactly. So I, I, I like it. It's like a different meaning for every person depending on what their subconscious thinks it is yes I think that it's meant to just it's kind of like a frequency you know you just we all hear it differently yeah it's not supposed to have a, a, a picture or anything it's just supposed to evoke something in yourself yeah and it makes me think of like you know I think it's in the third season. They ask, it's all a dream, but who is the dreamer? And is it Laura? Does this book make you feel more like it's Laura? Uh, Maybe. I mean, with all of her drug-induced, I mean, she basically at the end is living inside a dream. She's not 100% sure of what is actually happening and what isn't actually happening. Definitely. So, I mean, it could be. Maybe this whole time she wasn't killed. Maybe she's been in a coma and she's been dreaming this whole land up. Well, I mean, season three implies that maybe it could have been her dream all along. I mean, I think season three seems a lot closer to maybe being a Cooper dream. But uh, I don't know. I feel like it's almost like (laughs) it could be Laura's dream. It's almost like season one and two. And I feel like I saw somebody write this once. We, as the audience, were watching a story, but they were also watching the story. They were watching the the, the soap opera, at least at the beginning. Invitation. Right. Invitation to love. And at, at no point does Invitation of Love bleed into their reality in any way. But what if season three is characters from season two being pulled out of that television reality like WandaVision style and brought into the real real I don't know (laughs) what if Laura has been in the real real this whole time ever since she died which is why she grew up and had had her son and did whatever and Cooper who is like the investigator of this story in this television series was able to when he went into the Black Lodge, it's like going into the production studio and then you get to walk out the door into reality. And now he's like, wait, what? <laughs> I um, don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's getting really into season three territory. So, well, I don't I, get season three at all. So that's the best I, I can. That's the best I got. <laughs> well, I'm all for talking about season three. I just feel like maybe not the best episode to do it in because... <laughs> We're mostly dealing with a diary, and I don't feel like season three and the diary don't feel very much connected. They don't, not at all. (laughs) Okay, well, I mean, I think that we did a pretty good job. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about in terms of, you know, spoilerific Secret Diary of Laura Palmer content? 
think we talked about all the characters, really. Maybe we didn't talk about Donna enough, but... I mean, but there, I do think it's cool that the diary mentions, like, Mrs. Tremont and her grandson. And, and Harold, uh, Harold and the log lady. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That is one thing. Let me talk about that really quick. I've always really loved the, like, little relationship between the log lady, Margaret, and Laura, but the one time that they met in this book was a very cool scene but i really felt like she uh, margaret knew what was going on and she never does anything (laughs) and like of all the people to have known what is going on in this town i feel like she's the only one who shows that she does kind of know but she doesn't act like she can do anything to stop it it's like she can see under the veil, but she also maybe maybe can't stop it or maybe I feel like she could go to the police. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, but like what if the what if it's like Doctor Strange saying the only way for this to come out good is to is to go through this path? Yeah. It's just you know, I hear a lot of times people well, and maybe it's not even fans so much as like within the series itself you know even Bobby is like we all knew something was wrong with her and we didn't do anything about it and we had a whole discussion about this on one of the last episodes but honestly the only person who feels like they definitely know what's going on and does nothing to help is Margaret and I really don't like that (laughs) thought because I don't believe that of her (laughs) And I don't know, maybe it's just like nobody's going to believe her because she's the log lady or... Well, that's what I was thinking. It feels kind of like she lies to Laura because she's like, you're going to be very special. People are going to love you. Good things are going to happen. Just pay attention. And that doesn't happen. Even later, Laura's like, is this the good thing that's supposed to happen to me? (laughs) I mean, she does say a lot of people will love you and they do but they almost I mean like they love the idea of her they don't love her enough to get to know her (laughs) right they don't love her enough to protect her exactly and so I don't know that just is the one thing that kind of rubs me in a weird way because I love the log lady I do not believe she would let Laura be abused as a child forever and not do anything about it if she knew about it but it does imply in the book that she does know so I don't know. That just doesn't sit really well with me. So <laughs> also we know from the just in general that everyone in that town has light and darkness within them. Each body, everybody has a good and everybody has a bad. And maybe Margaret's bad is that she knows everything, but she won't do anything about it. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe there's like a lot more going on with it that she can't deal with and I mean obviously she's got her own emotional problems <laughs> with she's her husband's just a death vessel. and her loving this log and being pretty much a recluse herself it's just you know it's just one of those random little things I mean it's the only really little thing that I was like this feels wrong like this <laughs> feels like a mistake within this book <laughs> in a way you know I mean I don't know I wish she had had more scenes with her like I wish she had showed up again I was just thinking Laura has relationships with a lot of recluses you know she does (laughs) well because I feel like 
Laura understands that. She understands like that kind of um, emotional pain that would cause a person to do that. Whether she realizes that she understands it, you know, or if it's just kind of like I do because I've experienced it and I just instinctually, I mean, I know I have a lot of, I've had a lot of friends over my life who have had like, you know, emotional, and maybe everybody has some emotional issues, but sometimes I wonder, am I just like attracted to these kinds of people who could be law of attraction? Yeah. And I don't know. But like, it's not just Harold or Miss Tremont. It's like Johnny, you know, she goes, he's isolated completely not in the same way, but like she is attracted to him for the mere fact that he's by himself and the log lady seeks her out and they're both, you know, she's completely isolated or not completely, but like she chooses to be isolated is more than more than less. Yeah. I mean, it's very, I mean, it's very admirable that Laura despite all of her own problems is still always like looking out for the the underdog if you will or finding the like compassion for the people that most people shift aside where she could easily just be like oh I've got my own crap and I'm not going to worry about other people which that's my other thing I did think about a lot while reading this book is or actually not while reading it but after reading it (laughs) I was thinking a lot about Laura And just like, if I just knew her when I was a teenager and she was a teenager, would I like her? (laughs) And I have to say, I might not. Because as much as everyone loves Laura and she's very good at putting on her acts of being perfect, I feel like that might, I mean, personally, I I think I, I personally have a tendency to to feel like I know when people are putting on an act and it even if I don't know it for sure that's usually what puts me off of people and Laura also not a good friend (laughs) yeah that's true she's not but she so you'd probably be more of like the Audrey type but just just like maybe I feel like I'd be like a Donna honestly if I was in high school I had a lot of friends who were um more on the Laura spectrum and I was more on the Donna spectrum but I was always like I don't know I feel like you're so much more experienced and you know what you're talking about and I feel stupid <laughs> and the truth is nobody has any idea what they're talking about in high school they just <laughs> fake it that is very true. I did not realize that while I was in high school, though. But, I wish um, that was like the main lesson that would be taught to all children. In elementary school? Yes. <laughs> when you get to high school, you're going to feel stupid. And everyone else will, too. And they'll all be putting on a fake act. <laughs> and no matter what you think, you're not the only one that thinks this way. Yeah. And well, that's like one of the good things about this diary is it, even if you don't experience the world as Laura has experienced it, you still have insecurities like she does you know exactly you wonder if you're all alone if you're the only one who thinks this way and And honestly it's not just high school (laughs) yeah well even those that seem like they have got it all together and you're like they they definitely had it figured out in high school if you talk to those people they probably had just as many insecurities as you did if not more oh seriously I mean I feel like I knew a lot of girls who were more I guess sexual than I was or whatever (laughs) And 
talking to them as an adult, they're like, I always thought you were uh, judgmental of me. And I'm like, no, I just had no idea. <laughs> I was like, you're so much more experienced and I'm just going to keep my mouth shut about things I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny, you know, as an adult looking back and being like, we were all thinking the wrong stuff in our heads. <sighs> That's why teachers be nice to your students. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Don't make them feel stupid. Don't make them feel like they're not good enough because that's really going to mess with them. Because they already feel stupid and like they're not good enough. So I mean, going to an art school was kind of hard in that respect because they're like, we're going to get you ready for the real world where you're going to be rejected a lot. And I just don't think that's a a good way to treat children. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also... Maybe that has nothing to do with this book, but... (laughs) Looking back, we probably shouldn't have been pitted against each other and put into so many comp- competitive situations, but you know, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily the problem with Laura, but, but again, it's I mean, all about your personal journey, <laughs> your own insecurities. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're kind of off topic now, but <laughs> well, maybe we were talking for an hour, so maybe we should wrap it up. Okay. Did you have any final thoughts on Secret Diary of Laura Palmer that you didn't get to say during the main episodes? I just really liked it. I'm glad that I got to read it. I've always wanted to, and it was presented in such a fantastic way, thanks to Cheryl Yes, definitely agreed. She did an amazing job reading the book, and I mean, I have always loved audiobooks, so... (laughs) It was right up my alley, and I definitely recommend that you listen to it. You probably already have if you're listening to this spoilerific episode. And what else? Is there anything else that I missed? I don't think so. I think I've pretty much said all there is to say for me for now for about Laura. And <laughs> we'll pick back up during Firewalk with me. Yeah. Yep. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> it was right. great to talk to you. It's great to talk to you, and I will definitely be back in the future. Yes. Yes. When we get to Firewalk with me, or maybe before that. We'll see. Maybe you can do a Jane Austen episode with us. Mm, Fun. (laughs) All right. Well, that's all for now. So thank you for joining us for this special episode. Next Tuesday, we will be starting Sanditon again. So we hope you'll join us. Good night. Bye. I would love it if there was like a special feature about the diary on one of the like fire walk with me special features, but I don't think there is because I've gotten every version of it and I've never seen a special feature about it. It's hard to have a special feature about a book. (laughs) 